Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. I know it's been a while. I hope you guys didn't forget about us. Uh, we've got plenty of fantasy nuggets and uh, playoff recap stuff to talk to you about tonight. Uh, and as always, my name is Mung, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Los. Hey, everyone, it's Los. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Fantasy Football Addicts. Uh, reviewing the postseason, real exciting postseason, very, very exciting Super Bowl. Um, the, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, some are saying. Uh, but we'll get to that game when we get to it. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, this past Sunday was kind of weird. We are recording on uh, Wednesday night, uh, a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, and uh, it's been weird just not having football on during the weekend, and uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't like it. It's called free time, Mung. Enjoy it while it lasts. I mean, I'll enjoy it while it lasts because I know you're not as big into it, but, you know, it, the, the fantasy baseball season's starting to gear up for me, so I'm, I'm starting to look at that stuff. Yeah, for me, I'm excited for the Combine coming up in a few weeks. Uh, I'm going to take some time off from football as well. But uh, once that starts uh, kicking into high gear, there's there's certainly going to be a ton to talk about with the rookie class. But that's going to be for a later show this offseason. Tonight, uh, or I guess tomorrow morning when you guys are listening to this, uh, we're going to recap some of these playoff games and then talk a little about uh, potential fantasy football impacts uh, for each of these teams that we're going to discuss. Uh, and then at the end, we're just going to talk about some news around the league and how that may impact some specific skill players and, and their future fantasy production in 2017 here. Um, so let's, uh, let's get right to it. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let's, let's kick it off with our one and done teams, the teams that there's not that much to say about, and we can move on quickly through those. Uh, starting off with Oakland, uh, who played Houston in the opening round. Uh, Oakland slumped into the playoffs after suffering a terrible injury to uh, Derek Carr. He should be back by the end of the season. Um, then their their quarterback, too, got hurt also. So the offense uh, obviously fell apart behind Connor Cook, the third quarterback for Oakland. Uh, not much to take from that. Carr's a stud, in my opinion. This offense will be fine next year. Uh, Latavius Murray, this game, had 12 of the 21 rushes for the day. Uh, he is entering free agency. I personally... I'm sort of expecting him to resign with Oakland unless his salary demands are way too high. Um, the early reports from the beat writers are that they don't expect him in Oakland. I, I don't know. It, he did well for this team. They're giving him more than half the, uh, the carries out of the backfield. Uh, either way, they're going to keep with the committee. Uh, I'm not diving into the receiving numbers at all. They were not good, but how could you expect him to be Connor Cook? Yeah, and I mean, if you're an Oakland Raiders fan, you're you're optimistic for next year. Uh, once you have Derek Carr healthy, uh, a lot of this team, the core, staying together. You've got a young, up-and-coming stud, Namari Cooper. Uh, certainly, this offense is gelling, and then you've got uh, you know the one of the best defensive players out there, Khalil Mack. Uh, this team is balanced on both sides of the ball right now, and they're going to be playoff contenders again next year, I would think, uh, barring some major injuries. Um, from a fantasy lens, it, it sounds like Oakland's going to part with Latavius Murray from the reports I've heard. Uh, personally, to me, he's he's kind of just a guy. I mean, he's got some bursts, but uh, he's certainly not a Le'Veon Bell. Um, I, I could see him gone easily, but at the same time, if he doesn't get as much interest as his agent thinks, uh, I, I could also see him re-signing on a very you know, short-term, uh, a lower-money deal. 
Um, but regardless, Jalen Richard and uh, DeAndre Washington are interesting guys. But, you know, as a lot of the, you know, draft pundits have mentioned on Twitter, um, Oakland is likely to add another running back in the draft or maybe even sign a free agent. So I, I wouldn't be investing too much in any of these guys. Call me crazy. If Latavius Murray get, gets off this team, this may, that may be the best thing for him. I view it as a, uh, oh my gosh, what's the Houston guy? He's on Miami now. Lamar Miller sort of situation. Uh, I, I think this is a back that can truly do it all, and they just don't see it in Oakland. So maybe a, a fresh scenery would be great for his fantasy outlook. Uh, scooping right into the next team that limped into the playoffs, Detroit losing three straight, but lucking into the playoffs at the end of the season. Uh, they limped into the wild card. And their performance did not improve at Seattle. Six points versus Seattle, 250 total offensive yards for the day. Not going to cut it in the playoffs. Uh, Zach Zenner led the team with 11 rushes for 34 yards. But obviously, this will be a very different look next year with Theo Riddick, Dwayne Washington, and Amir Abdullah back on the field. Remember that guy? Uh, Jones is the only had the only solid day of note. Four catches for 81 yards. Seattle D was tough. Detroit had injuries. There's nothing really else to say. Yeah, um, again, uh, same with Oakland. I, I think Lions fans uh, have optimism going into 2017. Uh, you got to remember that Matthew Stafford played with that uh, finger injury, which really limited his throws a little bit. Um, and really the pivotal fantasy player here for Detroit that I want to talk about is Marvin Jones. Because after a hot start to the 2016 season, um, Jones really struggled to produce you know, down the stretch. And Golden Tate kind of became the guy for Matt Stafford. Uh, but I really still believe that Marvin Jones was dealing with a lingering foot issue all year. Um, and for me personally in Dynasty Leagues, I'd be buying him for a mid-second or cheaper if you can get him. Uh, I think he's going to bounce back. And I think he still has a decent excuse me, decent shot to become the 1A in this offense again if he's healthy. Um, you'll remember that early on in the year, I was touting him in some of our podcasts uh, you know, while he was getting hot. And, and I still think he can be that guy. Sure, Anquan Bolden, another year older. Uh, uncertainty at that uh, at that wide receiver three position should put more focus on Tate and Jones. All right, uh, into the AFC side of the football. Miami went into Pittsburgh. Of course, they could not continue their late season magic with Matt Moore at the helm, despite a solid day of 289 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception. The run game never had a chance. Ajayi only 16 carries for 33 yards, but Miami was behind quickly and had to turn to the pass early on. Uh, Landry gave you his solid value day with 11 on 14 for 102 yards. Um, Stills with five catches for 82 yards. Devontae Parker had a mediocre four on six for 55 yards. I'm very curious what this offense is going to look like heading into the next season. Uh, Landry, of course, a solid possession receiver who did so show some flashes of high-end ability late in the season. Uh, the very slow emergence of Devontae Parker, though, uh, classically wide receivers do take about three years to break out this coming year, maybe his breakout year. Who knows how much of a breakout it can truly be with Tannehill at the helm, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, also, Leontay Carew, who was drafted in the early rounds of 2016, saw minimal time in this offense, should definitely have a have more of a grasp of the playbook, see a little more time going into next year. Um, I'm not super excited, but, you know, interesting storylines. Yeah, but uh, certainly, you know, uh, we, we've seen that Tom Brady isn't uh, going anywhere for the next year or two, at least, it seems. Um, but at the same time, I do think the arrow is pointing up uh, with the Dolphins. Uh, again, despite not being a Ryan Tannehill believer at this point, 
Um, I, I will, you know, agree to the point though that Adam Gase has assembled a good offensive unit around Tannehill. Um, again, the offensive line should be mostly intact and healthy in 2017. And a lot of mock drafts have uh, Miami drafting a tight end prospect, whoever that may end up being, in, in this pretty deep class. So, you know, you figure with, you know, whoever tight end, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry, Parker, Crew, Tanhill could be a buy low for me in Superflex or two QB leagues. Again, I don't think that he's going to be, you know, a pro bowler perennially or, or an all-star or anything like that. But um, I think in fantasy, he could put up very serviceable numbers. Sure. Uh, I sort of look at him to bring it back to if any, if any of our listeners remember my preseason diatribe about Pepsi, Coke, vanilla Coke, diet Coke, uh, Tannehill sort of fits that mold of quarterbacks, like a, a worse version of Kirk, uh, Kirk cousins, where uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, I think his spreading the ball around in their addition of weapons. I don't think this is a potent enough offense to support all of those weapons. I, I think it's going to be sort of a bunch of guys that have middling value, but nobody that you really, really want to lean on. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen time and time again that a quarterback does not have to be great in the NFL to be a good fantasy producer. You know, one of the best examples that I always like to use is Matt Schaub. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He had some decent success in Atlanta and Houston. All right, uh, kicking it over to Green Bay in a very, or New York in a very, very disappointing game at Green Bay. Uh, New York came out and put up an absolute stinker. They couldn't have beaten Rodgers, though, even if they, even if he had a bad day. Uh, Perkins led the run game with 10 carries for 30 yards and three on five for 27 catching to Jennings, five carries for 30 yards. Uh, Jennings got cut. Looks like Perkins is going to have the bulk of the work next season. But this was just bad. And the pass attack was inefficient. Eli Manning, 23, uh, att- uh, 23 uh, completions on 44 attempts for 300 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Shepard, four of nine for 63. Cruz, who was also cut from the team, three of four for 30. And probably the most telling stat, uh, you could have just seen this and guessed who won the game. Odell Beckham Jr., four on 11 for only 28 yards on the day. Giants are not going to beat any teams with that sort of line for Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, but, uh, you know, then again, uh, they've got some money to work with in free agency. This is another team that I think has a decent shot of making it back to the playoffs. Um, and then fantasy-wise, uh, you know, it came out that the Giants cut Victor Cruz, but the bigger cut for me is Rashad Jennings. Um, mm-hmm. To me, he's not a spectacular back by any means, but he's a good inside runner and a decent receiver as well. He's an all-around back that could contribute to quite a few teams. Um, and, you know, I know everybody in the offseason loves speculating New England for just about any free agent running back or wide out, but... I legitimately think that Rashad Jennings would be a good fit. He's a hard worker. He's, you know, he kind of fits that mold to do your job. Uh, And really, uh, you know, he doesn't have that many miles on him. I think he would come at a relatively low price tag. Uh, Other places of interest would include a backup role in Pittsburgh, assuming that they part ways with D'Angelo Williams. Um, Or I could even see a team like Green Bay signing him to be either part of a committee uh, or some kind of veteran stopgap while they develop a 2017 rookie running back. For me, Jennings is reliable in pass protection, and, and those two teams would certainly want to invest in you know, protecting their franchise QBs with Roethlisberger and Rodgers on third downs. Um, for me personally in Dynasty Leagues, I'm buying Rashad Jennings. If you can get him for cheap, um, anything in the third round range, I, I, that would be a buy for me. I think his stock could rise pretty quickly depending on the landing spot. 
Sure, solid ladder ticket right there. Interesting options. Uh, also, two of the best uh, teams with uh, offensive lines in the game. Cowboys and Oakland also may be looking to add running backs if Oakland moves on from Latavius Murray and uh, Dallas moves on from DeMarco uh, Darren McFadden. Yeah, I think Jennings, again, I don't think he's going to be a stud by any means, but I think his value is going to be on the rise, you know, assuming he lands on one of these contending teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Kansas City, another uh, another disappointing showing. They entered as the two seed, but had an uninspiring day from the Kansas City offense after they handled Pittsburgh so well earlier in the year. They really crushed Pittsburgh earlier. Uh, Smith, just 172 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Spencer Ware, eight carries, 35 yards and a touchdown in a game where the Chiefs weren't having to play much catch up. I would have expected to see a few more rushing attempts. Uh, Travis Kelsey, five catches on seven attempts for 77 yards. Macklin, two of four for 28. His value is hurt by Hill's emergence more than anything else. Uh, Hill, four of six for 27 with three carries for 18 yards. Despite that emergence, though, I really don't love him due to the limitations of this Alex Smith offense. Jamal Charles may be ready next season, but he also may be ready to be cut from this team next season. Really, really interesting to see where they're going to go from here. Uh, otherwise, I'm mostly looking elsewhere from this team for talent for my fantasy team. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen that Alex Smith is what he's going to be. Uh, you know, they've kind of reached that cap with him at quarterback. Uh, I've seen a few mock drafts, uh, you know, mocking um, Deshaun Watson to Kansas City. Um, I, I don't know if the Alex Smith experiment is, is just over quite yet, but. I think it's coming to a close pretty soon in the next year or two. Um, and then to your point, I, I do think that Jamal Charles, uh, unless he's willing to take a pretty big pay cut, uh, is likely gone. Um, he'll certainly have plenty of suitors, assuming that he passes tests on his knee. I think that he'll want to go to a contending team at his age. And, and I could see him making a splash in you know Baltimore, um, Indianapolis. These are all teams where they need reliable running back help. And then Chiefs fans might not want to hear it, but I could actually see Charles staying in the division and signing with Derek Carr in Oakland. I mean, they're mm. a couple pieces away from really making, you know, a Super Bowl run. That would be fantastic. I would love that. I'm a Charles fan and I, I'm really in on these Oakland Raiders. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a really interesting mix. Definitely. There are, and I'm sure we'll get this get to this at a, at a later in-season episode, but there are a ton of uh, free agent running backs coming up uh, in this season. Anyways, <clears throat> Dallas uh, versus Green Bay, also another one-and-done team. Green Bay just played Dragon Slayer this, this postseason, or at least NFC East Slayer. Uh, the rookies looked awesome, and if their D stepped up, they, they could have passed through to the next round. This offense will be good for a while if these kids, of course, being Dak and, and uh, oh my gosh, Ezekiel Elliott, wow, brain fart, uh, can stay healthy and stay effective. Dak, 302 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Des Bryant stepped up in a big way. Nine catches on 12, on 12 targets for 132 yards and two touchdowns. Cole Beasley, only four of six for 45, but Witten filled the gaps in with six of nine for 59 and a touchdown. I thought the Cowboys should have leaned on Elliott a lot more this game. He was churning on the ground. He was unstoppable. 22 carries for 125 yards. One or two more carries could have left Rodgers without time for that fourth quarter comeback. Oh, well. You live and you learn. Maybe next year, Dallas. 
Yeah, Dallas is another team that, uh, you know, it's so hard to predict in the NFL, you know, which teams are going to stay good. But, you know, without knowing about injuries and and things like that, I I think this offense figures to stay mostly intact and they should, again, return to the playoffs next year. Uh, This is another team that's just a few pieces away. They need some help uh, on the defense. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but Miles Garrett uh, posted a video asking Jerry Jones to draft trade up and draft him uh, first overall. (laughs) Um, I I certainly don't think that's going to happen, but I think that, you know, they've been pretty good at identifying talent, especially, uh, you know, if they get a pass rusher, maybe a little bit help at secondary. uh, This is a team that could easily be back in the same, uh, you know, in the same spot next year, making a deep run into the playoffs. Um, The biggest fantasy question though, for me is how much longer Jason Witten has uh, he's been like Antonio Gates. Uh, he just keeps going, but he's going to be 35 years old in May. Uh, Gavin Escobar, the current second string tight end, is a free agent. Um, again, a, a deep rookie tight end class. I'd keep my eye on any tight end that Dallas takes a shot on in the draft. Um, and then a free agent that I think would be interesting there would be Martellus Bennett. Uh, if they can play around with their cap situation a little bit, uh, afford him on a one to two year deal, uh, that would be a, a big addition to the offense. Yeah, Bartellus Bennett, definitely the uh, the best tight end on the market. I, I believe Jared Cook's also available. He had some some of that magic for Green Bay. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to him when we talk Green Bay, but I think that, uh, you know, they want to keep him there. He he was, you know, really Rodgers' go-to guy in a lot of games. Definitely, definitely looked like it there. All right, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, That finishes up the one-and-done teams. Now the teams that had a little more success uh, in the playoffs, but still not all that much. Speaking of Houston, Houston at Oakland. Osweiler is still garbage despite the win over Oakland. 14 completions on 25 attempts for something like 170 yards and a touchdown. Um, Lamar Miller, 31 carries, 73 yards and a touchdown. And an expected terrible day for the pass catchers despite the poorest Oakland secondary. Other than uh, five of nine for 67 yards and a touchdown, Brock's got to go. He's really got to go. Uh, Osweiler's shortcomings really caught up to them, them in New England. 197 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions on the day in an 18-point loss to New England. Miller is the guy on the ground, 19 for 74, four catches for 15 yards. And if they can find a quarterback, maybe from somewhere in the North Texas or Dallas area, hint, hint, Miller and this offense could really find something special to put together. Hopkins, six of nine for 65, or for the postseason, 11 of 18 for 132 and a touchdown. Uh, at least they realized they needed to work him into the offense and feed him the football. Fuller in this game was three of seven for 16. I, I do have hope for him next year to develop uh, well with his speed, but only if they can find a more accurate and better quarterback than, than Brock Eisweiler. It may be difficult to pour much more money. I think they already owe Osweiler something like 20 mil. Yeah, I don't know if there's a a right answer for what the Texans should do at quarterback, but uh, they certainly could pursue a QB change. Uh, I don't know if Tom Savage is going to beat him out in training camp or if they take a shot on a rookie in this class. Uh, I really don't know, but fantasy-wise, DeAndre Hopkins, he's just too talented to hold down for long. Uh, I'm buying low on him all day if his owner is going to take anything less than like a top first-round pick. Um, I think he's got the talent to rise to the top, and this was a down year for him, and I expect a bounce back in 2017. 
Absolutely. He's worth a shot. Even if they stick with Osweiler next year, the, the, in the NFL, this is a league that's constantly in the pursuit of quarterbacks. I expect Houston, uh, if they don't sign a sign a veteran quarterback to pursue somebody in the draft, either this year or next and later rounds. Um, and like you said, Hopkins is just too darn good. Moving over to the NFC West, Seattle, who beat Detroit. They looked very solid uh, versus Detroit. Wilson, 224 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Thomas Rawls with a nice day, 27 carries for 161 yards and a touchdown. Hard to see him not coming into next year's preseason as a running back one in, in all drafts. Uh, Baldwin looked like the wide receiver one in this offense, 11 of 12 for 104 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Paul Richardson filling in nicely, three of four for 48 and a touchdown. Graham only with three of four for 37, but this is a good air, air attack and will be even better with a healthy Tyler Lockett. Uh, then versus Atlanta, they got caught in a two-score deficit early after an explosive 19-point second quarter for the Falcons. They had to pass the play catch-up the entire game. This team is much, much better when they can lean on the run, but the run was ineffective. Uh, Rawls just 11 for 34. Wilson added six rushes for 45 VR, 49 yards after not scrambling versus Detroit. Through the air, he was 225 for two touchdowns, two interceptions. And turnovers can kill a middling team. The Seattle offense and the Seattle team was not a, a, an elite team this year, but they did make the playoffs. Doug Baldwin this game, 5 of 9 for 80 and a touchdown as the top option, of course. Richardson tacks on another four catches for 83 yards and becomes a solid number two when uh, when Lockett's not healthy. Uh, keep that in mind for your for your daily lineups, your your weekly lineups next year. Uh, Graham three of three for twenty two and a touchdown. The key here is I think that Procise will be back next year, and it looks like they really want to get him involved in the passing game. I think Russell Wilson's going to have another solid top five quarterback year next year. Yeah, I mean the bottom line is, and I'm I'm definitely not the first person to say this. I won't be the last, but Seattle needs to improve that offensive line. Uh, I know that they've gotten away with a crappy line uh, so far, just because Russell Wilson is so mobile. But you give him even you know an extra half second to throw the ball, and good things are going to happen. Um, but more importantly, fantasy wise, in terms of the running back situation, I think that's the biggest story here for Seattle. Um, I just see a messy situation with Rawls, Procise, and don't forget they got Alex Collins too. Um, mm -hmm. And there are even rumors floating around that Seattle might draft yet another running back. Uh, I already know. I, I don't even need to see the preseason ADP in August that I'm going to be voiding all the Seattle running backs. Uh, the only the the caveat's going to be I'm going to draft whoever is the cheapest in like the 13th round and take a shot on that guy because I'm not mm. going to take Rawls or Procise in like the third fourth rounds. Well, I assume that would be Alex Collins. Yeah, or, or I mean, whoever they take in the draft, if they so choose. Sure, sure. All right, all right. Well, interesting thoughts there. Uh, now now into Green Bay, the team I've been dreading talking about, of course. Uh, they went and, and smacked the Giants. Riders was on fire that game versus one of the premier league defenses. 360 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. And this is, of course, a game where Nelson was a minimal factor. One one catch for 13 yards. Devontae Adams filled in eight of 12 for 125 yards and a touchdown. Randall Cobb, five of 12 for 116 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Jared Cook, five of nine for 48 yards. More balanced run attack this game with Christian Michael, 10 of 47 to tie Montgomery's 11 for 27, three catches for 41 carries on the day for him as they put the smack down on the Giants. Then in Dallas, 
Green Bay was the more experienced team, and Rodgers wasn't being stopped yet again. 350 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, aided at the end of the game by a huge catch from Jared Cook, who notched six catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. Devontae Adams, again, 5 of 10 for 76. Randall Cobb, 7 of 8 for 62. No Jordy Nelson in this game, still an explosive offense. The pass was leaned on to keep up with Dallas. Uh, with Ty Montgomery only going 11 carries for 47 yards, but having two touchdowns on the ground. Also adding six catches for 34 yards through the air. No Christian Michael this game. As we said, the pass game was leaned on early. Uh, we did see a little Rutkowski action for 24 with a long of 20 yards. Uh, the team rolled and Cook was the big blanket target with Jordy off the field. But it was interesting to see here that uh, Ty Montgomery did get two touchdowns on the ground. Looks like he may be. I mean, Eddie Lacy's going to be back next year, but Ty Montgomery is definitely going to have a piece of this offense. And um, McCarthy and the staff have already said that they are fully full time switching Ty Montgomery to a, to a running back. Then versus Atlanta, they finally got their comeuppance. Jordy returned and looked good, but it wasn't enough to help Green Bay after a very slow zero-point start. Green Bay kept pace in the second half, actually outscoring Atlanta in the second half, but it was too little too late. Rodgers with another solid line, 280 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Nelson, 6 of 9 for 67 and a touchdown. Cobb, 6 of 9 for 82 yards. Cook, 7 of 12 for 78 yards and a touchdown, which is a tad surprising to me that he held his value for another week, especially with Jordy back in the lineup. Um, Adams here took the hit just three of three for 16 yards, but managed to touchdown as well. Uh, the early deficit took the Packers out of running the football time on covering just three carries for 17 yards. Michael six of 11. I'm not too concerned about him going to next year. He's a free agent. Don't expect him back on the team. Uh, game flow is a killer for these green Bay running backs and green Bay fell and all was right in the world. Yeah, I was uh, supremely pleased when uh, Green Bay just ate it. Um, I was very happy about that. Uh, but fantasy-wise, here's the thing. Um, James Starks, he was a cap casualty. He got cut. Um, Eddie Lacy, he's gone. a free agent. I'm assuming he's gone as well. I just don't see Green Bay paying up for him. Mm. Um, and then Kristen Michael's also a free agent. I, I don't really see Green Bay paying up for him unless he takes you know a, a smaller deal. But I, I would have to imagine that some team saw Michael and his, his freakish athleticism and they're going to take a shot on him. So really that leaves Ty Montgomery. Um, but here's the thing. I, I don't think he's built to be a workhorse running back. And I don't think Mike McCarthy really will ever employ a, a running back, uh, you know, workhorse bell cow type anyway I, I think he prefers the committee approach and and really i could see them signing a veteran to add to the mix you know i mentioned rashad jennings there are plenty of other guys in that mix as well um and if they do somehow sign a big free agent running back or draft one early uh montgomery really isn't going to have much fantasy value he's really more of that change of pace third down back he can certainly run the ball fine but Again, I don't think he's built to carry the ball, you know, 15, 20 times a game. Um, really, for me, if you can get like an early second round pick for him, I, I'd be very happy to sell him at that price. I think people are, you know, way overvaluing his talent uh, based on the situation here. Uh, and actually, if you recall, uh, you know, he, I think it's sickle cell traits or uh, he has some medical condition that also Correct. kept him from, you know, being overworked here. I just think that. He's kind of a flash in the pan, and you know he'll certainly contribute. He's under contract, and he'll be with one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I just don't think he's going to keep up the fantasy pace that he that he had this year. Hmm. 
See, I actually disagree with you on both counts of the running back situation. Green Bay is a team that's shown they like to keep players that they've had there for a while. James Starks has been poorly effective the past three seasons, which I don't expect him back on this team. But for that reason, I do expect them to give Lacey another reprieve. Um, I don't think that he's going to command much money on the open market. He's been poorly effective the past two seasons and has had injuries this year. He knows this offense. He likes this offense. And if any, I mean, if you're a player in the NFL you, and you're looking to prove it, you may as well prove it on one of the most elite offenses in this league. I expect him to take a one year, uh, low level, uh, low money contract and try and cash in next year after he performs well and again makes the playoffs uh, behind this offense uh, be- behind this offense. And I actually agree with you on the committee approach coming. And that's why I think Ty Montgomery does maintain his value. Is he going to be as valuable as he was this year? Probably not with Lacey going down and James Starks going down. It was Montgomery and Michael at the end of the season. Um, but, but I do expect him to have solid PPR flex value. Yeah, I mean, he could have flex value, but I think right now people are valuing him at like an RB2 level, uh, maybe even higher on the higher end of that. And, and I just don't think he's worth that. Like I said, I, I think he'll produce somewhat, but I just think that if you can get, you know, an early second round pick or better for him, I, I would sell all day for that. Yeah, I mean, if he stays in this offense, there, there's, of course, no way that he has the bulk of the workload. I, like I said, I think Eddie Lacy comes back. And I think that he handles 70% of the carries. See, I just don't see Lacey back. In fact, I would, I would bet you a beer that uh, Lacey will be gone. All right, let's do it. All right, we'll see. All right, geez, looks like you've got uh, 31 options for me to be wrong. 32 counting the unemployment line. And I've got uh, one, one way to be right. No, Lacey, right. Lacey's <laughs> not going to be unemployed. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Now, as for the Pittsburgh Steelers, go Lurs, go Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had a field day versus Miami, and despite Ben's two interceptions, it was never in doubt. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, 29 carries, 167 yards, two touchdowns, 35 rushes to only 18 pass attempts for that game. That's how you know you're in control. Somehow that didn't slow down Antonio Brown, who still managed five catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, There was really no palpable contribution from anybody else. Now versus KC, Pittsburgh won, but Ben did remind us why he may be a man to shy away from on the road versus solid defenses. 224 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, or seven points for those counting at home. Uh, Officially, add Chris Boswell to the killer bees on this team. Six field goals, all of Pittsburgh's points in this game to give them the win. Uh, Bell rolled, of course, despite the tough matchup, 30 carries for 170 yards. And Antonio managed a nice day, helping out with six of 11 for 108. Uh, this was another week that the oft-missing Ladarius Green was absent, and Jesse James filled in nicely, five catches for 83 yards. We'll need to see their plan heading into next season. Early reports is they do plan to bring Ladarius Green back. Eli Rogers, five of seven for 27 yards, which I only bring up in reference to the fact that Pittsburgh should have a healthy and available Coates, Rogers, Wheaton, and a hopeful return of Martavis Bryant next year. So that's definitely something to monitor. I don't know that Brian's a worthwhile dynasty asset uh, and worth and with any of the shown abilities of Rogers and Coates at this point, um, they, they may not necessarily overshadow him, but definitely dilute his abilities, dilute his production. Uh, I think Marcus Wheaton may be on his way out of this team um, unless he becomes a very good uh, special teams contributor. Uh, he's, he's definitely the low man on the totem pole with all those pass catching options. 
But you, now, but you love Marcus Whedon, don't you well, remember? I, no, no, I loved Marcus Whedon, and that's the only <laughs> reason I bring him up. He, well, I didn't love him, but I did think he was a good option. I, I think he'll catch on in it for another team, just not Pittsburgh at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, now at New England, unfortunately, a very unlucky injury to Le'Veon Bell, which changed this game without question. D'Angelo Williams filled in very admirably, but just doesn't have the pop of his younger counterpart. He still managed 14 carries, 34 yards, and a touchdown. Seven catches for seven attempts on 51 yards. And I still hold him as a top handcuff entering next season, even though he is a free agent. Um, Pittsburgh continually shows a trust in him and a solid workload. And I expect them to re-sign him for that very reason. Ben with big numbers, a bit with better numbers this game, 314 yards, touchdown and an interception, but still looking worse on the road than at home. Brown, seven of nine for 77. James, five of seven for 48 without green. And Rodgers, 7 of 10 for 66 to Coates' two catches for 34 yards. Yeah, so a, a few notes on, on these Pittsburgh games. Um, what, number one, uh, has anybody heard from Matt Moore? Is he is he okay? Is he alive? Um, I, that, that hit by, I think it was, was it Bud Dupree? Um, yes. I, yeah, so. He's um, a fast, He's he is a fast man, Bud Dupree. Yeah, uh, he's also a very large man. Um, and when you combine the two things, uh, bad things happen to whatever he's hitting. What is that? Force equals mass times acceleration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I feel bad for Matt Moore. Uh, that's why they get paid the big bucks. Cause they take the big hits like that. Yeah. Um, the other note, uh, you know, I had going into the Pittsburgh, new England game. I, I was very nervous as a Patriots fan because, uh, you know, Pittsburgh plays very similarly to Atlanta. They have such a dynamic offense. It's tough to stop them. And when we saw what Atlanta did uh, to New England for the better part of the Super Bowl, um, we'll get to that game later. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was actually very, uh, you know, I was distraught that Bell went down because I wanted to see a, a, a really good matchup. And I think that barring unforeseen circumstances, this could again be the AFC championship next, next year, uh, either them or maybe Oakland. We'll see. Um, but fantasy wise, uh, I, I got a lot to disagree with you on based on what you just said. Hey. Um, so n- number one, I have to imagine that Pittsburgh re-signs Le'Veon Bell either to a long-term deal or they're going to franchise him. Um, while it's true that the Steelers have a good O-line for him to run behind, he's just clearly a dynamic talent. He's a, he's a rare bell cow elite back. Uh, you know, there's no way that they're going to let him go. Um, and then, then I was going to say there's two guys that I would buy low on. Number one is Martavis Bryant. Um, the reports are that Martavis has stayed clean and in good shape. Um, and then we saw, you know, Eli Rogers, Sammy Coates, they just couldn't get the job done there. You know, Coates could be a phenomenal wideout if he could catch. Um, but if he could catch, he would be Martavis Bryant. And that's why they need Bryant back, uh, especially with Ladarius Green. He's eternally in concussion protocol. Um, I, I'm sure that Big Ben just can't wait to get Bryant back on the field. He He's a huge buy low for me right now. If you can acquire Martavis Bryant for like a mid, even early second round pick, um, I would easily take him. I, I would take him over Ty Montgomery. I, I would take him over a, a, some of the guys that we already talked about on the show. Um, so that's number one where I disagree with you. Number two is um, I, I don't think that D'Angelo Williams is going to be back. He's another year older. He didn't look particularly effective later on in the season. I understand that he would just be in that backup role, but I don't think that Pittsburgh is the, is going to shell out the money to keep him. 
Um, and, and really, well, what someone... kind of money do you think he's going to command? I'm not expecting more than three, three and a half. No, but I, I think that you know behind that offensive line, they can they can draft a rookie that, that you know that they can develop, and then the guy that I want to talk about is Carlos Williams. He's currently on the practice squad. Uh, you know, he mm. was great in Buffalo two years ago. We we could saw, or excuse me, we could see that. Um, and then you know if he could stop eating with his pregnant wife and get back in shape, I, I think he's got the talent to really. You know, is she still pregnant? I don't, I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> if he's if he's been able to shed some of those pounds, uh, you know, we saw that even as, as a raw running back, he's a I think he's a converted safety or cornerback. I want to say safety, um, but he he did really well in that running back position, and I think that he could do very well with Pittsburgh. Um, and I I think he's like free right now in dynasty leagues, or you can get him for like a third fourth round pick. Uh, you know, mostly everybody's forgotten about him, so. Uh, you know, I've heard a few other people talking about him on Twitter, but uh, I certainly agree with those guys. And I think that he's someone whose stock could kind of shoot up from out of nowhere and certainly very low risk. Sure, sure. Uh, always worth a lottery ticket, especially if you're paying zero dollars and zero cents for it. Um, but I, I don't know, just as managing management and coaching standpoint, I don't know why you go ahead and move on from a veteran back who is a smart player, uh, reliable with the football, who knows the offense. But that's just me. Hey, you know what? And double, double or nothing. I say Lacey and D'Angelo Williams are both gone. All right. Fine. All right. And now for your Super Bowl contenders. Atlanta versus Seattle. Ryan was not going to be stopped by a week in Seattle defense. 338 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Julio Jones, six of eight for 60, 70 yards and a touchdown. Mosinu, five of four or five for 44 and a touchdown. Gabriel, four of six for 71 yards. They really had their way with the secondary with no Earl Thomas present. The running backs both had very solid days as well with Freeman, 14 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown, four catches for 80 yards to Tevin Coleman's 11 carries, 57 yards with three catches for 22 and a touchdown. Atlanta has really found something here. And if Ryan can continue this trajectory, I see five viable fantasy options with a possible solid tight end as well. Uh, versus Green Bay, Atlanta trounced the Packers. Ryan with a suburb, 390 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions again. The benefactors being Julio for nine catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns. Sanu, five catches on seven attempts for 52 yards and a touchdown. Taylor uh, Gabriel with just two catches for 24 yards here, of course. Uh, Freeman, 14 carries for 42, four rushes, 42 or four catches, 42 yards and a touchdown. Coleman, 11 of 29 for a touchdown with three tacked on catches for 35 yards. Or here's here's the here's the meat and potatoes. Here's the sum of all fears here, folks. In a PPR, these point totals are each 39, 16, 4, 18, 14. The outlier obviously being the four for Gabriel. But my point here is that this offense is potent enough to support ownership for all of these players in a major way. Then versus New, New England, Atlanta was looking great in the first half. Then the game got away. They still manage respectable days for most players. Ryan, 280 yards, two touchdowns. Jones, 4-4 four, four for 87. Good job done by New England to limit him. That's exactly what I expected Belichick to do. Gabriel, 3-5 of five for 76. Sanu, 2-2 two of two for 25. The running backs both fared well with Freeman, 11 carries, 75 yards and a touchdown, two catches for 46 yards. Coleman, seven carries for 25 yards, 29 yards, one catch for six yards and a touchdown. Freeman is the lead back, but this offense is so, so good. Both have value. 
and their ADPs will be much closer this next season than they were heading into this season. You know that after this meltdown, they will be committing heavily to defense this upcoming draft. So I think the five playmakers on this team are locked into roles unless Atlanta doesn't re-sign uh, Gabriel, who is a restricted free agent heading into the season, who may want to cash in. I don't, I don't really know that much about him. Nobody heard about him until uh, until this season really occurred. So I can't predict that, but a lot of options on this team, a lot of points to be scored. Draft Atlanta if you can. If you can. Yeah, I imagine that uh, Atlanta is going to re-sign Taylor Gabriel. Um, he actually, he kind of reminds me of Chris Hogan, uh, which is interesting because New England kind of stole Hogan from Buffalo. And, and if they didn't have Hogan on the roster, I would I would actually say that Gabriel's exactly the kind of guy that they would target. Um, and, and Gabriel actually used to be on the Cleveland Browns. That's why, you know, people have kind of written him off. But uh, once again, we've shown that Cleveland is just horribly mismanaged and doesn't know how to you know, identify or unlock the potential of the talent that they've had. Um, and I'm actually, gonna right. play... I'm sure Terrell Pryor will have a, have a great career in, uh, in Dallas or something next year. <laughs> Buffalo. Know, it's funny. Cause he's actually one of the guys that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Um, but going back to the Falcons real quick, I'm actually going to play devil's advocate advocate here for a second. And obviously, uh, you know, this is, you know, hindsight 2020, all that, but sure. It's interesting because you look at Matt Ryan's numbers um, in the playoffs against Seattle. Uh, Seattle missing Earl Thomas um, came out later that Richard Sherman was dealing with, you know, an elbow or, or shoulder injury or something all season. Um, and obviously Matt Ryan came out and performed props to him, but certainly <laughs> a, a very weakened defense when you think of Seattle, right? You, you, you think of some of those playmakers that I just mentioned who are injured or out. Absolutely. Um, against Green Bay, at one point, I think, you know, they're starting cornerbacks where they're like fourth and fifth string guys. So certainly not uh, not a very good defense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, he, and even in that game, there were a couple of throws that uh, definitely could have been picked. Um, so a, a few dangerous throws there. Um, and then New England, we saw that once they started blitzing him a little bit, uh, rattled him a little bit, call it what you will. I don't, I don't think they necessarily choked. I think mistakes were made, but... Um, certainly, you know, we, the Atlanta offense that we all thought was unstoppable got stopped multiple times and late in the game. Um, and really what I'm saying here is I, I, again, I think personally, much like Dallas, this is another playoff team, uh, has a lot of its offense returning intact and, and should be good again next year. But I think there are a lot of holes on this offense um, it, it makes me a little bit nervous with Kyle Shanahan departing for San Francisco. Um, you know, Sarkeesian's good. He's a good fit, I think, for, for offensive coordinator to replace him. But at the same time, uh, you know, some of that, uh, again, please don't take this. This is an extreme example. But I think that looking back at, at Matt Ryan's film throughout the season, he had some Nick Foles uh, luck while Foles was on the Eagles. Uh, you remember that amazing, what was it, like 27 touchdowns to two interceptions season or something mm -hmm. like that? I do. Um, and, you know, if you recall, people look, went back, watched the tape, and there were, you know, multiple five, six, seven throws that, you know, were deep bombs that were caught for touchdowns that should have been interceptions. Um, and I think, you know, I haven't had a chance to go back and look at all the Matt Ryan film yet, but I, I think that there were definitely mistakes made um, so we'll see. He he needs to continue to play at a high level, and certainly he deserved the MVP, I think, uh, this season. But I'm just saying that I don't think it's 100% guaranteed that this offense is going to be a, a super-powered offense again next year. 
Um, that said, overall, I do think that they have a very good shot uh, of, you know, maintaining this offense. Um, and the one guy that you didn't mention in terms of, you know, all those skill positions is Austin Hooper. Uh, he was a rookie tight end this year, certainly didn't expect them to contribute a ton, but he made that nice touchdown grab in the Super Bowl. And if you can still get him for like a second round pick or cheaper, I think he's another guy who's going to play a lot more snaps next year now that he's had some time to learn and adjust to the NFL. And he's a guy that I'd be buying as well in Dynasty Leagues. Jacob Tammy, a free agent this season. Yeah, I mean, Jacob Tammy was kind of an afterthought anyway, along with, uh, was it Levi and Toy Lolo? Um, I mean, mm -hmm. neither of those Absolutely. guys. Just, but uh, now they're out of the way completely. Yeah, I, I think so. Yep, I, I think so too. And now for your Super Bowl champion, Wait, New I mean, England Lose, Patriots. Um, what do you think about my, my Matt Ryan argument? Do you, do you agree, disagree? Oh. How, how do you feel about that? I think it's reasonable because I think that's been the trajectory of Matt Ryan's entire career. He has the talent. He has the ability to be a top flight quarterback. Um, he puts together many games of three, four touchdowns to no interceptions, but then things catch up to him. And then he looks like garbage for a couple of days. It's sort of like, it's sort of like an Eli Manning comparison, just not as hot, cold, just not as extreme. Um, but I think now he has the weapons around him. I think he's got a solid enough line in front of him. Alex Mack was injured in this game. I think that would have, I, I do think that that possibly could have cost them the game. Oh yeah. There was, there was definitely that one play where uh, Trey flowers just rolled past Mack for that sack. Um, yep. And actually I had this in my notes, but I didn't mention it because uh, I had so much to talk about with Matt Ryan. But um, the other thing was Atlanta. I can't remember who originally tweeted out the stat. So props to them. Uh, certainly stealing this stat from whoever it was. But uh, they had all five offensive line starters the entire season until the Super Bowl. So the worst wow. time ever. Um, so certainly Atlanta benefited from that. Uh, you know that's that's just luck. You know in the NFL you can't predict injuries. And yeah, I mean we're we're really hoping for everything to work out for them again next year. I'd certainly like to see Atlanta win a Super Bowl. I think you know they the city especially deserves one. But uh, you know we saw with Carolina, the, nothing's guaranteed. Yes, I, I will take shots on the skill players, but I, I mean, for these reasons and everything else, I, I'm definitely not buying in early on Matt Ryan. I mean, that's sort of like a reflexive two years ago. Big Ben had a phenomenal season. You know, he had those two weeks where he had like 60 points put together in those two weeks. And, and Ben was taken as like the fourth or fifth quarterback this season. I could see the same thing happening with Matt Ryan, and I'm certainly not paying for him. Yep, Ben Roethlisberger, 2015, um, Cam Newton, 2016, Matt Ryan, 2017. Probably overdrafted. Yep, definitely. Is it time? Yeah, let's let's talk about the, the greatest quarterback of all time. Is it time to discuss the five-time, 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 five-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I think it is. I wish the bears were good so that I didn't have to, you know, move my, yeah, I, I wish, I wish I could enjoy them as much as I live frivolously through the Patriots and Rob Gronkowski. He wasn't even on the field. Anyways, Patriots versus Houston, as if this game was ever in doubt, Pats took care of business despite an, a very uncharacteristic two TB 12 turnovers, uh, 18 for 38 through the air, 280 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. This was really the best defense the Pats would see this postseason. Deion Lewis was held for 13 carries on 41 yards for a touchdown with two catches on seven targets, 23 yards and a touchdown as well. Blunt only eight carries for 31 yards, one catch, one target, 19 yards. Julian Edelman, eight for, of 13 for 137. Chris Hogan, 
four for 95. Bennett, one for four. Amendola, zero of two. Floyd, one of three. The only real target that Floyd would see this postseason. All right. Versus Pittsburgh, Brady came out with a purpose and delivered in a big way. 380 yards, three touchdowns on 32 of 42. This was the Chris Hogan game where the former lacrosse player notched nine catches for 180 yards and two touchdowns. Edelman was really right behind him with a very nice eight of 10 for 118 yards and a touchdown. Those two were dominant with the next best being Bennett at just five catches for 32. As far as the run game went, Blunt had 16 carries, 47 yards and a touchdown, which was pretty expected versus Pittsburgh. Uh, Lewis, 6 of 11, uh, wasn't really needed with Pittsburgh offense not producing big numbers. White with just one carry this game uh, and three catches for eight yards. This game, it was pretty clear that he was the backup to Lewis. Then versus Atlanta, uh, the Pats led what some are calling, myself included, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Tom came out in like a stud in the second half of this game and showed why he is one of, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, with again a cast of surrounding talent who nobody would call superstars. 466 yards, two touchdowns on a pick, and an amazing fourth quarter comeback, and a never-in-doubt overtime drive to seal a fifth championship uh, for your Super Bowl MVP. After looking like the preferred passing down back, Lewis actually took a back seat to James White this game, who accrued six carries for 29 yards and 14 catches for 16 yards and 110 yards and a touchdown to Lewis's six for 27 and one catch for two yards. I don't really know what to make of these two backs heading in the next season. Both are under contract, but white may try and demand more money after being a super bowl hero. I'm not really certain. Um, he set a receptions record and he's being, he's set to make under 700 K next year. If he wants more, I expect Belichick to let him go seek for it elsewhere because they're certainly not going to increase his salary. Uh, Lewis is clearly fine in this role if, if White does move on. In fact, I do think he's probably the better of the two backs. Uh, this game, Blunt was only 11 for 31 yards, but I don't think any of us were expecting a big day with Atlanta's offense in the same game, putting up numbers the way that they can. Julian Edelman, 5 of 13 for 87. Amendola. Uh, 8 of 11 for 78 yards and a touchdown with Hogan, 4 of 7 for 57. Malcolm Mitchell stepped up, 6 of 7 for 70. Bennett, another solid but unexciting line, 5 of 6 for 62 with an almost certain touchdown taken away with some egregious defensive pass interference. Uh, Gronk, of course, will be back next year, and the excitement will continue. Uh, next year, with all these options, middling middle-of-the-road options at wide receiver, it'll be interesting to see who has them. But as per usual, I'm not drafting any of these wide receivers overly highly. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, our, our super producer, Dan, can can attest. I was at his lovely home uh, watching the Super Bowl this year that I was beside myself uh, during that comeback and immediately following that win. Um, that was just... So that was one of the greatest games I've ever watched. That that's all there is. Um, I don't know if the people in Atlanta agree with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you know, um, quick quick shout outs uh, for for any Patriots fans in Chicago. I recently found out that the Hidden Shamrock on on Halstead and Diversity um, is a big Patriots bar. So if you've been looking for a place to watch games, uh, I'll, I'll give a little uh, a little shout out to them. But all right, starting with analysis, um, I mean, I'm not even going to start with talking about the Patriots. I'm going to start with talking about how angry I am that Atlanta fired both their defensive coordinator and their defensive line coach. Um, so their defensive coordinator, Richard Smith, 
Uh, line coach was Brian Cox. Uh, that was a total scapegoat move because Atlanta's defense played as well as they could have. They had a, a very solid game plan playing in tight man coverage. Um, they just got gassed. Uh, you know, they, they got tired. It's a long game. And, and now these two coaches are, are feeling the, the wrath of Atlanta. Um, and I, I would add unfairly because I think they coached a great defensive game. And ultimately, you just couldn't stop Tom Brady. That's all there was to it. Um, on the flip side, I'm shocked that the Steelers defensive coordinator, Keith Butler, still has a job because <laughs> if anybody deserved to be fired, it, it's him. Because, I mean, you look at the game tape, you look at how Tom Brady picks apart, you know, zone defenses, and then what do you do against him? You give him soft zone coverages, and what do you expect? Uh, I just don't understand how he still has a job while the Falcons guys don't. Um, so that's point number one for me personally. I, I don't think I haven't really seen much on Twitter or, you know, heard much about that being discussed. Um, and I think that's a travesty because the, those are guys who, you know, their situations should definitely be flipped. Um, well, here's the discussion. That's what happens when you have a goofball owner run down to the field, you know, midway in the, in the middle of the Super Bowl to celebrate a win and then watch his team lose. He, somebody has to get fired. Man, that, oh, you know, I, I feel bad for, bad for him. Um, you know, he looks so sad on the, on the sidelines, but it, it's funny. I saw a tweet about this where, um, you know, something about, you know, I feel really bad for Arthur Blank, uh, and then I remember that he's a billionaire, and I <laughs> yeah. don't feel as bad. You can't be sad for him too long. <laughs> right, but, but that said, I, I understand that, that, you know, the the city or the fans or the owner demanded a scapegoat, but I think that was a hundred percent the wrong move. They came up with a great, great game plan that slowed down the Patriots' offense for the better part of you know two and a half, three quarters. And what are they going to do now? Set back their own defense by installing a new system, first year system. First year system defenses are are never catch on quickly. I mean, I think Dan Quinn is still going to have oversight over that, so I don't think it's necessarily going to be a huge transition, but I do think it was a mistake. Um, but let's move on and talk more about the Patriots here. Um, you know, going into the Super Bowl, I actually did think that LeGarrette Blunt was going to have a nice game. Uh, you know, Atlanta's oh. run defense struggled for most of the season, um, and but clearly they stepped up in the biggest game of the season, and subsequently the Patriots had to change their offensive tactics. But, you know, that said... Uh, that's what they're best at, you know, adapting to, you know, fit whatever the defense is showing them. And really, you know, in terms of James White, he was definitely the Super Bowl hero. I understand why Tom Brady got the MVP. There have been tons of discussions about that already. So, you know, I, I won't uh, I won't be a broken record here. But, um, oh, you know, just one quick note for anyone who didn't know, uh, you know, two years ago, you remember that uh, uh, Tom Brady gave away the MVP uh, Ford truck. Um, to Malcolm Butler, uh, even though he got an MVP. Uh -huh. And uh, for anyone who didn't hear, um, so I, I guess Ford or whoever the sponsor was got rid of the truck part of the MVP award. Um, but uh, Conan O'Brien actually had James White on his show um, and Ford gave him a truck. Uh, so that was, I thought that was a nice gesture for, for a guy who clearly you know, was a huge part of winning uh, that game. Um, Very cool. Very cool. But, you know, fantasy-wise, uh, I, th I think it's... Uh, I believe James White is still under contract through the end of 2017, so he'll certainly be around. Um, but, again, I, I caution uh, 
people, especially dynasty owners, to overreact to any playoff game, let alone the Super Bowl, um, a Super Bowl in which New England was in desperate, you know, catch-up mode for half of it. Uh, you know, there, there's just not going to be another game where James White gets 14 targets. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, he, he was great. He delivered, um, and he put up what would have been, you know, a, a mega fantasy game, but there, there's just not enough consistent usage in new England, uh, to pay up for James White in, in dynasty leagues. I, I think he's going to contribute, but again, I think, uh, I wouldn't overreact and crown him just yet. Uh, and there have been reports floating around that Bill Belichick really likes Christian McCaffrey. Um, they could take a shot at him uh, or another talented running back in a pretty deep rookie class if they choose not to re-sign LeGarrette Blunt too. Super replaceable. Uh, the, 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 last, the Super Bowl win versus the Seahawks, there was a similar line for uh, Shane Vereen, who had 14 catches, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, something like that. I think it was 12, but uh, 12? pretty close. Um, yeah, I mean, man, that was just, that was a great game. Uh, there's... Not a whole lot else to say about it, I guess. Yeah, I think we hit it. I think we hit the nail on the head. All right. Um, so that's going to conclude the recap portion here of our show. Uh, going uh, or moving on, I guess, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, four or five situations, uh, recent news or, or notes around the league, uh, kind of dynasty nuggets that will impact different fantasy situations. Um, the first one that I want to talk about here was Doug Martin. Um, this isn't recent news per se, but um, I feel like this is a, a situation that's very much in flux. So he's suspended, likely to be cut. Um, really, uh, this is going to have a big effect on the entire Tampa Bay running back situation. Um, basically, the Bucks are going to save $6 million, $6 million if they cut Martin. Uh, he's got no dead money here. Um, and he's also suspended for the first three games of the 2017 season. Um, he's in rehab, and assuming he's on track to play, I actually think that again, I would like to see him in like Oakland or Minnesota on on a one year prove it deal. You know, prove he's clean, prove that he's you know maintained conditioning, all that. Um, I still think he's a very talented running back. He just uh, you know has never really put it together for multiple seasons. Um, and then I, I'm really not sold on the rest of these guys. Charles Sims is a versatile receiving back, but you know he's kind of like a Tevin Coleman light. Um, and on an offense that isn't quite as high powered, I, I don't think he looked great when he was given the opportunity as a as a pure runner here. Um, or nor is he, you know, a workhorse back. He's under contract through the end of next year, and I think that you know he'll he'll be a flex, but nothing more really. Uh, maybe RB two territory if any of the other guys miss time. And then Jaquiz Rogers and Peyton Barber, uh, I think they're just guys. You know, both have shown flashes, uh, but I just we haven't seen. A whole lot of him in the NFL, um, and you know Peyton Barber's worth—he's worth a flyer in deep leagues. He's a name to monitor, but at the same time, I, I just—I think that you know Tampa Bay is going to go out and they're going to either sign a guy uh, or they're going to draft a guy. And, and you know there have been reports linking Adrian Peterson to Tampa Bay. We'll have to see. Even if he signed there, I'd imagine that. You know, somebody's going to, you know, probably Sims is going to keep that passing down work. And, and Peterson didn't even look that effective when, when he's healthy. But, you know, it, it's AP, so never count him out, kind of like Tom Brady. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just, what, what do you think about this whole Tampa Bay, you know, backfields? I think it's something definitely to monitor. Uh, I, th I think you've hit the nail on the head on most of these, uh, on all of these running backs. Whoever gets the running back, uh, 
lead back role in Tampa Bay is going to be worth a solid look, probably a running back too, right off the bat. If, it, if it's not going to be too much of a committee because this team does not have a great defense and they are going to be moving the ball downfield on offense with Mike Evans and Jameis Winston. They're going to need to be scoring points. Cameron Brait, another solid target. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I'm a Doug Martin believer. I'm a fan. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people disagree with me, but I think the talent's always been there. Um, so I, I'm hoping he lands on his feet. Uh, certainly, uh, wish, wish him the best hope he, uh, you know, deals with whatever he's been going through. Um, but let's move on to a guy that you mentioned briefly, uh, you know, earlier on this show, uh, Terrell Pryor. So mm-hmm. He's still a pretty young guy, just 26 years old, and, and you know reports are that it might be difficult for the Browns and Pryor to agree to a long-term deal here. Um, so he's a potential guy to be franchise-tagged. Uh, of course, super athletic, and, and he's learned the wide receiver position great and you know doing a lot better on the route running despite coming into the league as a quarterback. Um, but, but I will say that I have two concerns, and that's why I'm not really buying him in Dynasty. Um, and number one is, you know, the, the team situation. There's just no stability in Cleveland at quarterback. Um, and Pryor's really benefited from not having any real wide receiver competition there last year for targets. Um, Corey Coleman was hurt for a lot of the year, and he was a rookie, um, you know, certainly still learning the system. Uh, Coleman should be healthy and entering his second year. Uh, so I think he's going to siphon away some of those targets. And I think the Browns are definitely going to add some help and, you know, at wide receiver and tight end, whether it's free agency or the draft. Um, and the number two is more of an intangible thing. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. And I'm interested to hear your take on this. And that's that there have been a lot of players, um, both, uh, you know, on opposing defenses and former teammates of Terrell Pryor that have come out and just, you know, talk smack about him. Um, and, you know, while that, no- that doesn't necessarily impact his potential fantasy production or value, it's kind of a red flag to me. Uh, it's really not that often that you hear NFL players bashing one another on, on such a widespread basis. Um, you know, you've got those occasional beefs or those rivalries, like, like that Odell Beckham, Josh Norman situation, but it's kind of uncommon for multiple players to come out and just insult another guy for seemingly no reason. I feel like there's got to be something happening either on the field or in the locker room that's causing this. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. At some point, you've got to consider the source. I think the most memorable right now for Terrell Pryor is, of course, Adam Pacman Jones uh, putting putting Terrell Pryor in the garbage, uh, calling calling him garbage, garbage, garbage. But Adam Jones isn't exactly a, a class act either. He's not going to win, you know, Man of the Year awards at any point. Um, I'm more worried for for Terrell Pryor from a uh, football standpoint, a team standpoint, a Cleveland Brown standpoint, more than I do from a professional standpoint. Uh, a lot of people talk a lot of crap about Terrell Owens, and he's one of the greatest ever to lace him up. Now, I'm not comparing the two at all, um, but is Terrell Pryor a diva? Absolutely. Was Michael Irvin a diva? Probably a bigger one than Terrell Pryor could ever dream of being. But see, here's the thing. It's not even that he's a diva or anything like that. And and certainly I have no love for Radham Jones, but, you know, I think it was Janoris Jenkins on the Giants too. He called him, uh, you know, a, a, well, an insult, but, uh, you know, and then, <laughs> an insult. I, I won't, I won't say it here, but you know, you, nah. you can Google that if you want, but. Um, and then I think it was one of his former teammates, uh, Brian Hartline, who's, you know, certainly not a superstar by any means, but, you know, he's talked to him in the locker room. He, I, I assume he knows him well, having played with him 
um and he came out and had a whole long rant about him as well and i don't know that just kind of that kind of rubs me the wrong way um and i guess See, it, to, to me i i really not to sound like an old man get off my lawn or anything like that but i really think that this is just a, a millennials issue i think younger people are more on sound bites more on putting their stuff in the media obviously adam jones isn't a young guy but these other these other players are on the younger side um you know you got to get your sound bites on twitter everybody's got to know your name hey let's talk about the next big thing okay so i guess for you what's your tipping point what's your valuation on him in dynasty you know what would it take for you to sell him if you owned him oh i would sell him i would absolutely sell him if i owned him um if anybody was going to give me something for reasonable i i would sell him for equal value even because i don't like his spot on this cleveland offense but but i'm saying what what is your valuation on him um where would i take him to draft next year i would probably take him sixth round hmm. okay interesting um I, I think i'm probably just gonna stay away certainly uh plenty of reward there but i'm just i'm not a huge fan okay okay all right um let, let's talk about another uh t player uh tyrod taylor though who i am a fan of um i do like him yeah and and baffling as it is to many it, it certainly sounds like buffalo uh, isn't really prioritizing re-signing him despite uh taylor having played pretty well um, and despite the fact that there's really not a whole lot of options out there right now for teams at quarterback, um, but you know, there's, there's plenty of speculation where he might end up, but I actually want to talk about his two teammates, uh, if he does leave. Um, so number one is LaShawn McCoy, uh, in the event that Tyrod Taylor leaves, I think I'm selling McCoy, uh, and I'm avoiding him in, in redraft next year. Um, and here's here's the thing. Uh, number one, you know, age and workload, of course, McCoy's been around the block. Uh, he had tons of carries as an eagle, and, you know, he got worked a lot last year as well, um, even with, uh, what is it, Gillisley coming in in relief. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, McCoy's an elite talent. He's dynamic in the open field. But I think that a lot of people kind of underestimate the role that Tyrod Taylor played in the success of the Bills' run game this past year. Um, having a mobile quarterback as dangerous as he is really opens up the running game a ton when defenses have to account for those backside runs. And if Buffalo starts a rookie or a Cardale Jones or whoever at quarterback, I don't think defenses are going to hesitate to stack the box. And I think that McCoy's production is, is really going to plummet as a result. Um, and the other guy here is Sammy Watkins. And I'm already hesitant on him due to that foot issue, but Again, Taylor was kind of building a nice rapport with Watkins, and he had a decent deep ball. Um, and, you know, I, I think that Sammy Watkins is still, you know, worth drafting depending on his price, but there's no way I'm buying in Dynasty, you know, at, at some of these valuations that I'm seeing, especially if his quarterback situation is going to be in flux. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head precisely. I don't understand the Bills' hatred for uh, for Tyrod Taylor. I think he was effective on the ground. I think he opened holes for for Gillisley and, and McCoy, just like you said. And also, he was, I mean, he he took a lot of shots downfield, and he connected a lot of times downfield with receivers that are not very good. Sammy Watkins is a great talent. If he was, you know, with a better quarterback, he'd be phenomenal. But he was serviceable, good enough with Tyrod Taylor connecting on deep balls and connecting in the mid-range. Um, I, I personally wish the McCaskey family would take a look at Tyrod Taylor. I think he's a solid quarterback. Um, I think that this is because of that. The only way I can really 
you know, come up with a, a reason for this in my head is that maybe Bill's ownership wants to move away from a mobile, mobile quarterback and wants a more traditional pocket passer, um, uh, more of a Ryan Tannehill type or something. And I only bring him up, not because he's available, but that's the only sort of quarterback I think they'd be able to find in that role, a, a semi mobile stay in the pocket, you know, spread the ball around sort of guy. But I, I don't get it though. I, I really think Taylor was a, was a good player for this offense. Yeah. And, and I, th- I agree with what you said. I, I think that the bills ownership does want a more pocket passer. And here's, here's my personal theory. You know, this is pure speculation. I, I have no insider knowledge or anything, but my guess is they saw two things. One, you know, before Tyra Taylor, they had EJ Manuel, who was also, also more of a mobile guy. Um, and that was a terrible failed experiment. So they're they're hesitant to commit to Tyrod Taylor because they, they still have that sort of mental image of him as a, a slight upgrade over EJ Manuel. And number two is I think they saw how, you know, mobile quarterbacks like like Terrell Pryor, he's he's had he's tanked and he's since moved to wide receiver. And then Colin Kaepernick had a couple of great years and then he's he just slid downhill quick without Harbaugh. And I think that they're just, you know, hesitant to pay him that money when, you know, they're seeing mobile quarterbacks, you know, basically failing left and right. Then why aren't they looking at Wilson and Newton? I mean, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. That's my theory that EJ yeah. Manuel kind of yeah. tainted Tyrod Taylor in their eyes. <sighs> yeah, very frustrating. Very, very annoying. Anyways, I mean, he, be, he could potentially be picked up by Chicago. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, you'd prefer Mr. Kirk Cousins, right? Well, yeah, of course I'd prefer that without question, but I don't, I'd be shocked if he leaves, uh, if he leaves Washington, I guess I'd be surprised, not shocked, but I would be surprised. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll say this for the Chicago QB situation and we, we won't get into this right now. Um, but maybe we should do a Chicago centric show at some point for, for Bears fans who care, but I'd actually be pretty okay with them trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but again, we can we can do a special short podcast on just the Bears at some point in the offseason. That's not a bad idea. Um, okay, so the last thing that I want to talk about was the San Francisco 49ers. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, uh, some, certainly some questionable <laughs> play calling uh, towards the end of the Super Bowl. But, you know, again, hindsight's 2020. Um, you know, and there have been plenty of podcasts who've covered this in far more detail than we ever could. So let, let's not dive too much into that. But um, two two players uh, currently on the 49ers that I think this is great news for. Number one, Carlos Hyde. So they get head coach Kyle Shanahan and uh, he took Mike McDaniel, uh, his quote unquote run game specialist is his title. Um, and I think that this is great because despite uncertainty at quarterback, uh, it sounds like Colin Kaepernick is very possibly gone. Um, I trust in Shanahan as an offensive mind, and he's already said that he's going to be calling the plays on offense. If Carlos Hyde can stay healthy, I could easily see a top 10 fantasy running back season from him. Uh, I'd buy in dynasty for a late first very easily. And I don't think it, it's impossible that we're talking about Hyde as a top five dynasty running back asset this time next off season. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, I, I think it's not out of the question that if Christian McCaffrey makes it past the first round, um, I think the Niners might grab him at pick number 34. He's, if you think about it, he's kind of like a Tevin Coleman on crack because uh, McCaffrey's just as fast, but I think he's actually a lot more agile in the open field than Coleman is. And I think he'd be a great, great fit for Shanahan to scheme with. 
um, as a compliment to Carlos Hyde. What do you think about that? I, th- I think that's an in- that would be an interesting look to the offense, and I agree with your valuation on Hyde. Hyde was one of the guys that I, I was thinking of targeting, uh, trading for in a dynasty heading into last season, um, just based on his pure talent alone. Uh, he put up a solid year and behind the right offense. Now, granted, a lot of things do need to fall in place for this 49ers team, but behind a good offense, he, his talent will shine. He, he's, he's a top five talented back in the league, I think. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know if I go as high as top five, but I, I could see top 10 for sure. Okay. Um, okay. So the other guy I want to talk about here is Torrey Smith because the Niners really have no one else at wide receiver. Um, he's signed to a, a somewhat reasonable 10 million, um, but they would lose 5 million of that anyway in dead money. If they cut him, I, I think that Shanahan could very well keep Torrey Smith as the wide receiver one in his offense. Um, of course, we know that you know he feeds the wide receiver one quite a bit, and even though Smith is kind of pegged as a as a deep threat, uh, he's actually a pretty good route runner, and and he's capable of doing more, you know, in the shallow and intermediate areas. Um, it's just that Baltimore utilized him, you know, on go routes primarily, and he, that's how he's been classified ever since. Uh, and then Colin Kaepernick was never able to get on the same page with him uh, in San Francisco. I remember. I think it was against the Rams. There was one play where Smith was just wide open. The cornerback wasn't within 20 feet of him. And he was like clapping his hands and jumping up and down. And Kaepernick never even saw him. Um, so I, I think that if he stays in San Francisco, he's he's got a shot to bounce back as a top 20 fantasy wide receiver. Um, there's also rumors that the Eagles could be interested in trading for Smith or signing him to a short-term deal if the Niners cut him. Um, I think either way that this would benefit Torrey Smith. Uh, Jordan Matthews is more of a possession guy. And Carlos Wentz showed some pretty deep, decent, uh, you know, deep ball skills uh, targeting Nelson Aguilar and Doriel Green Beckham in 2016. Uh, really not Wentz's fault that both of those guys just dropped some well-placed passes. Um, how do you feel about Torrey Smith? Yeah, he he's over his career. He showed some flashes, but he showed more than anything else inconsistency. And, you know, I, I used to like the Ravens quite a bit. So I've watched a lot of his games um, and he's, he's just never really done it for me. And he needs somebody successful throwing him the football in San Francisco. Again, a lot of things really need to fall into place for me to consider Torrey Smith. Yeah. Um, I, I think that San Francisco is, is a team to watch. Uh, may, maybe not next year, uh, but I think 2018, 2019, I think we're going to be talking about them a lot more. Um, and actually, uh, you know, I, this wasn't on the agenda, but, uh, I was listening to, uh, Albert Breer does a great, uh, podcast with the MMQB and he was talking about, uh, he took a question and about which division he thinks is going to be the best in 2017. Uh-huh. And he surprisingly said the NFC North. Um, and it actually kind of makes sense when I think about it more. Uh, you know, Green Bay's got Aaron Rodgers, of course. Um, but Detroit, they made it to playoffs uh, with, uh, you know, a hurt Matthew Stafford. Um, uh-huh. If Amir Abdullah stays healthy, Marvin Jones, if they can keep some of the defensive pieces. Um, the Bears, uh, Jordan Howard's doing well. If we can get some sort of stability at quarterback, the defense is also doing better. And then... Minnesota was a Super Bowl contender until they lost basically their entire offensive line and then also Harrison Smith on the defense. So when you think about it, it it's not it's not that far fetched, I don't think. No, no, 
It isn't. Uh, I think preliminarily I would lean more towards the NFC East, but I could definitely see the argument. Yeah, I mean, as a Bears fan, I certainly hope so. Um, well, I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> well, all that means if if the North is more competitive is that that's a guaranteed six losses. So if you want to hope for another early pick next year, then then have at it. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I, I'm of the mindset too, though, you know, that, you know, competition generates not talent, but it, it forces players to play more up to their potential. And I think that, you know, I certainly want, uh, you know, as much as I'd like for the bears to be like the Colts and steamroll a, a bad division. Uh, I want to see some good games. I want some winners. That, that's what I want, but, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll yeah. See what happens. Um, yeah. We'll definitely have to do a, a bears centric, uh, show at some point. I think that's a good idea. Cause there's a lot, a lot to talk about, you know, I mean, maybe we'll see, you know, somebody from, from Eastern Illinois suit up in the, in the Navy and burnt orange this next season. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but, um, all right, that's going to wrap up our first, uh, 2017 off season show. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Certainly, uh, if you don't play in dynasty leagues, take some time off and enjoy the off season. If you do play in dynasty leagues, uh, you know, there, there is no off season, uh, as Bill Belichick would say, there are no days off, uh, you know, uh, soon we're going to get to combine season and then, uh, we're going to get to that pre-draft hype. So stay tuned. We'll have a few more off season shows spaced throughout the coming months. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we have anything scheduled, uh, for certain just yet, but keep posted. Um, or I, I will keep you posted, I guess I should say. Um, and the best way to keep posted is to follow us on Twitter. I am at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And I'm at FFA underscore Los, L-O-S. You can also uh, support and uh, follow our producer, Dan, at FFA underscore D-A-N, Dan. Um, and then, of course, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, like I said, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. I don't know how you would have gotten this uh Update if you didn't, though. Uh, that's, of course, findable in your iTunes store or your Purple Podcasting app and also the Google Play store and also on SoundCloud. And as always, it's a fantasy world and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there, and the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight.